0: Dear Father in Heaven, you are so merciful and kind to us. We are so undeserving of the grace that you've extended this morning and awaken us from our slumber. And Father, we don't want a regular presentation of your word this morning we want your Holy Spirit to be our teacher Father these are the last moments of Earth's history we have yet to enter into the experience that you have offered What we cannot do for ourselves. And what we can do, remind us, Father, that we may cooperate with you. We pray in Jesus' name and claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. The judgment is set. The judgment is set. Psalms chapter 37. You have your Bibles? Psalms chapter 37. And I want us to read verse 28. Psalms chapter 37 and beginning at verse 28. Now, notice what the Bible says in Psalms 37 28. The Bible says, For the Lord loveth what? Hmm. For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. So when I read that verse, I was memorizing it, meditating on it, and I was trying to understand why would the God of heaven love judgment? That's the question that rose in my mind because for most of us, when we think of judgment, we become very, very, very afraid. So I wanted to understand from God, why do you love judgment? Now the answer is in this passage, but we're going to do a little bit of Bible study and we're going to look first in the book of Daniel. Are you ready to study this morning? We're going to do an overview of the book of Daniel. We're going to look specifically at the reactions of Daniel to understand why God loves judgment and remembering now the judgment is set. Daniel chapter two, Daniel chapter 2, and you're very familiar with Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, you have the dream. In that dream, you have the head of gold and the chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet part of iron and part of clay. Is that right? So when you read through that, the dream comes and Daniel is interpreting the dream. At the end of this dream, is Daniel afraid? Let's look at the end of the dream. Let's pay attention to Daniel throughout this pas- these passages. Daniel chapter two, and look at verse, Let's we'll start at verse 43, just for the sake of a little bit of context. In Daniel chapter two, we're looking at verse 43, the Bible says, And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a what? Which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to the other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand how long? Forasmuch as thou sawest the stone was cut out of a mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof is what? So we have this dream, this image, head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet part of iron, part of clay, a rock comes out cut out from a mountain without hands, and smashes the image after thee. And notice now the reaction, notice the reaction of Nebuchadnezzar in verse 46. Then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, fell upon his face and worshiped Daniel, and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. The king answered unto Daniel and said, of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings, And a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this what? Okay. Do you see Daniel disturbed in this dream or in this vision? Do you see him disturbed in this chapter? Daniel sees this vision. He sees all the elements in the kingdoms and he's perfectly fine. He might have a question here or there, but his mind is, is clear. But becomes different in Daniel chapter 7. Go to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, you know this vision, the set of vision here in Babylon is the head of gold. And we know that there's a lion. The lion in Daniel 7 is Babylon. You know the chest and arms of silver is equated to the bear, the three ribs in his mouth. Everybody knows this is basic Bible prophecy. We know that the leopard with four wings and the the belly and thighs of brass, And then ultimately we have the legs of iron and that, that iron goes all the way down to the end of time and it mixes in the feet with iron and clay everybody's very familiar with that amen but now i want you to pay attention to what daniel asked and what gabriel responds with what daniel asked and what gabriel responds with daniel chapter 7 and notice verse 15 i daniel was grieved in my spirit In the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. In Daniel chapter 2, was Daniel troubled? No, not he was not troubled. He saw that vision, went all the way down to the toes, no problem. But now Daniel sees Daniel chapter 7, and he is troubled. Verse 16, I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me, and made me know the interpretation Of the things. Notice verse 17. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. That's it. Gabriel's done interpreting. Vision from verse 1 to verse 14, Gabriel sums up in two verses. Four kings, God wins. You follow that? There are four kings, and God wins. But this doesn't suffice Daniel. Daniel was disturbed still. He has going, he's going to tell us what disturbs him. Are you following right now? Daniel's going to tell us what's going to disturb him in the next verse. Verse 7, verse 8, verse 19. Verse 19 says, then I would know the truth of the fourth beast. So tell me something. What's on Daniel's mind? The fourth beast. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured, breaking pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth, and spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. So you guys are familiar? Put it up here. This is a little horn. You guys seen this in evangelistic means. Is that right? The little horn, he comes up and he plucks up three. By the roots, he is dreadful, terrible, strong exceedingly. There is no power that is able to stand against this fourth beast. The horns that come out of this fourth beast are still part of the fourth beast. They're just a variation. All right, let's go a little further. Notice the next verse, verse 21. I beheld and the same horn made War with the saints and what? This is a problem. This is a problem for Daniel. Daniel knows that God's people should not be prevailed against. Daniel knows that God's people should not be subservient or subjected to anyone except for one reason. Go with me to Daniel chapter 9 and Daniel will begin to tell us, in fact, yeah, go to Daniel chapter 9 and Daniel will begin to tell us what he believes the problem is of why a power would be, be able to make them subservient. And Daniel chapter 9, beginning at verse 5, we're going to go back to Daniel chapter 8 in a moment. In Daniel chapter, we'll get back to 7 in a moment, we'll go to Daniel chapter 8 after that. Daniel 9 verse 5, it says, We have sinned, we have what? Sin. And we have committed iniquity, and have done wickedly, and have rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts, and from thy what? Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, and our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Jump down to verse 7. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faith, as at this day, to the men of Judah, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, unto all Israel that are near, that are far off, through all the countries, whither thou hast driven them. Who has driven them? God has driven them. Well, let's see the reason why he has driven them. Because of their what? That they have trespassed against thee. Daniel has identified the reason why God's people would be dominated or controlled is because of trespass. It's because of sin. Let me highlight this point just a little bit further. Go to Revelation chapter 12. We're going to go to Daniel chapter 7 in a moment. Go to Revelation chapter 12. I want to highlight this idea. Satan has no ability to prevail against God. Dan- Revelation chapter 12, and we're going to begin at verse 1. Revelation 12 and verse 1, the Bible says And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars, and she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven behold, a great red dragon. Having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as, she was bo- as, soon as it was born. Jump down to verse number seven. And there was born in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels And prevailed, and prevailed what? So you're telling me Satan was in heaven, he had a a, a fight with God, and he didn't win? Interesting. God's people, when they are connected with God, never lose. In fact, let me read something to you. Not part of the plan, but I'm going to read it to you. I want want you to listen to this. This is Christ's object lesson, page 63. And this is talking about God's people and, 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 and evangelism and working for God. Notice what it says. But when we give ourselves wholly to God and in our work follow his directions. There's an equation there. We're supposed to give ourselves wholly to God and then follow his what? He makes himself responsible for its accomplishments. He would not have us conjecture as to the success of our endeavors. Not once should we even think of failure. How many times should we think of failure? We are to cooperate with one who knows no failure. Wait a second. So this causes a conundrum. If we are to cooperate with one who knows no failure, but then we see in Daniel chapter 7, where this horn power makes war against the saints and prevails, it tells me that the people of God are not cooperating. Does that make sense? Go back to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Remember now this horn power prevails against the saints. Verse 21. The Bible says I beheld and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them until. You guys see that? I don't think anybody sees that. This horn power prevails against the saints until something happens. What happens? Until the Ancient of Days came. That's, that's phase one. And judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possess the kingdom. Listen carefully what I'm going to tell you right now. This power, this horn power, this papal power will prevail against the saints of God until God sits in judgment and also until it is given to the saints. But he has to have saints to give it to. Nobody's listening. There's a two, there's there's phases to this. We know the judgment has set. But it has to be given to somebody. Notice what else the Bible says, verse 22, verse verse 23. Thus He said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom. Now Gabriel is now explaining, verse 23. The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all the kingdoms, and shall devour, how much the earth? Sounds like a, a, a global power, is that Right? and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of that kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. Another shall rise after them. He shall be diverse from the first and he shall subdue three kings. And what shall this horn do? He shall speak great words against the most high and wear out the saints of the most high and think to change times and laws and they should be given into his hand until a what? Time and what? Times and what? But the judgment shall sit and they shall take away his dominion. No, it says they. Who's they? Are you sure? In the context of what we just read, Based on the previous verses, the saints are what are going to take away his dominion. They. God, the angels, the saints. They. Let's go a little further. That is the question. How? Daniel chapter 8. Actually, before we go to Daniel 8, look at the end of verse chapter 7. Notice Daniel's response even after the interpretation.
1: Verse 28.
0: Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, and my countenance changed in me, and I kept the matter where? So Daniel was disturbed at the end of the interpretation of Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 8 now. Still bothered. Remember now, Daniel chapter 2, he wasn't disturbed at all. Daniel chapter 7, he's disturbed. We put our finger on it somewhat. The saints are being dominated by a power. This is disturbing. He knows in his mind sin is the problem. Is that right? Let's go a little further. In Daniel chapter 8, and we know that he goes around. We know that a part of the story, but now go to verse number 9. Verse number 9, the Bible says, Out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the pleasant land. And it waxed great, even to the host of heaven. And it cast down some of the hosts and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host, and by him the daily was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was what? And a host was given him against the daily by reason of transgression, and it cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and prospered. Now the same angel in Daniel 7, now is in Daniel 8, and he's going to tell us in what verse number 10 means. Again, read verse 10. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven and cast down some of the hosts and of the stars to the ground. Jump over now to verse number 23. Who is this host and stars that are cast to the ground? Verse 23 begins. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, A king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his, what? And he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper, and practice, and shall destroy, who? So when they cast the host to the ground, and the stars to the ground in this chapter, it's talking about the mighty and the holy people that are trodden under foot. Tell me, based on what we studied already, to what we've gone over in this short amount of time, what has Daniel identified as the reason why God's people will be trodden under foot? Was there a point, I'm gonna ask this question, was there a point in time where God's people were not dominated by the papal power. I'm gonna pass this here, 31 AD. Anybody tell me what happened in 31 AD? You, you know already, Bible scholars, what happened in 31 AD? Jesus died, is that right? What else happened in 31 AD? The Holy Spirit came down. What else happened in 31 AD? Good answers. I want you to think. We said two things so far. Number one, Jesus died on Calvary. Is that right? We said the Holy Spirit came down. Is that right? What happened? What else happened in 31 AD? Christ was anointed. Is that right? Let's go go to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. What happened in 31 AD? All right. Very good. All right. Revelation chapter 4. Good answers. Revelation chapter 4. We're entering into a throne room right now. This is holy ground. In Revelation chapter 4, we see Jesus, or we see, not Jesus, I'm sorry, we see a throne, and we see someone sitting in this room. And verse 1 says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which, shall, which must come hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and sardine stone and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald and round about the throne were four and twenty seats and upon the seats i saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment and they had upon their heads crowns of gold and out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices and There were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like it's a crystal. And in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the four beasts were like a lion. And the second, the first beast was like a lion. And the second beast like a calf. And the third beast like the face of a man. And the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him and they were full of eyes within and the rest and they rest not day and night saying holy 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 lord god almighty which is which was and is to come and when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Who was sitting on the throne? All right, who says Jesus? Let me see your hand. All right, who says the Father sitting on the throne? How many don't know who's sitting on the throne? Chapter 5. And I saw in the, in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within, on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book? So, who, who's holding the book? Well, someone who's sitting on the throne, is that right? All right, so someone sitting on the throne has the book. A voice says, who is worthy to open the book? Notice what it says. And to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much. Wait a second. What's John's response to not being able to open this book? These, these prophets have a lot of emotion they're seeing things of significance and he's weeping why is he weeping and one of the disciples and one of the elders said unto me weep not why weep not behold the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David have what wait a second He's what? How did he do that? How how did this lamb prevail? Because it's interesting that before we know that he prevails, there's weeping. You guys paying attention? Just like in Daniel chapter seven. There's weeping because Daniel sees that the people are not prevailing. Are you following me so far? All right, let's go a little further. In verse number five, and one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, have prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb. What is the lamb doing? stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. and what are the seven spirits of God to, to do? They sent forth into all the earth. And he came, listen, and he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. Now who's this lamb? Who's the lamb? So, who's on the throne? God. So, Jesus goes to the Father. Listen now. Jesus goes to the Father and he takes the book out of the Father's hand. And now he begins to open the book. Watch. And when he had taken the book, verse eight, and when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb sang, had, Lamb having every one of them hearts and golden vials full of odors, which are the what? And they sung a, what kind of song? Well, a new song. Is a new song an old song? A new song is a song that has not been sung before. Is that right? So he takes the book out of the hand and the creation begins to sing a new... Based on what? Based on an experience. When when Moses and the children of Israel sang this song unto the Lord. I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously the horse and his... What's that song made out of? That's made out of experience, is that right? So there are some songs that we shouldn't sing if we don't have the experience. Are you listening to me? If, If I sing the song, Redeemed how I love. How can you sing that song? You have to be redeemed. I mean, if you're going to mean the song. You got to desire it. You got to want it. You got to sing. When when we do song service, I tell the young people, I say, never tell the congregation to sing loud. Don't tell them to sing loud. You know why? Because they don't have the experience. Those who have the experience will sing. Those who have been engaged and met Jesus will sing. There is no way that you can meet God and be the same person. I ask the question all the time. If there's a Mack truck coming down the road at 70 miles an hour, or if there's a 747 coming down the landing strip and you're standing in the way, and that plane or that truck or the train or car, whatever it is, if it hits you, will you be the same? Every bone in your body may be broken, your veins may not be operating the same. But when you encounter God, there is a change. There is a change. And the problem is, friends, that we have not encountered God. We don't have the experience. And this is why it's like pulling teeth to go do evangelism. You got the experience, you're to pull nobody's teeth. When you're in connection with you, you don't have to pull nobody's teeth. It just comes out. Verse eight again. When he had taken the book, the four beasts and twenty-four elders fell down before the throne, having every one of them harps and golden vows full of boulders, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, "Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for Thou was what and has redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and Doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound familiar? And has made us unto, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. All right? Remember now, this power is prevailing against the people of God, and there's a reason why this power prevails. I'm going to bypass this for a moment. Day of Pentecost. You see this? Let's read this together. I don't want to read too much of these things, but I want, I want you to see it. It says, the Spirit came upon the waiting, praying disciples with a fullness that reached how many hearts? The infinite one revealed. 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 Do you understand, beloved, that if we're going to have an experience here, we must be praying for him. Not just for more information. We need him to come here. We need to encounter him. The infinite one revealed himself and power to his church. It was as if for ages this influence had been held in restraint. And now having rejoiced in being able to pour upon the church the riches of the spirit's grace. And under the influence of the Spirit, listen, this is the effect of the Spirit. Under the influence of the Spirit, words of, and confession mingle with songs of, for forgiveness, words of, and of, listen to me. This is what happened under the outpouring of the Spirit with the early rain. Is that right? I wonder. I wonder. At this cat meeting, will your conversation be about praising God for His mercy? And will you be speaking about prophecy in your in your mundane in your regular conversation? Will you be giving words of penitence and will you be confessing? Or when you just be talking, oh, it's good to see you again. Nice to see you. Another Camini? Good to see you. Nice to see you. And nice to see you, too. How you been? How's the family? How are the kids? Is that what you're here for? I'm asking you a question. Is that what you're here for? We're not here just to hang out. Listen, I didn't drive 20 some hours to come here to hang out with you. I came here to fellowship in Christ with you so we can be empowered to finish this work. We're not here to play games. In the corridors, as we're walking along the way, we should be praying with each other, giving thanksgiving, sharing testimony about what God is doing, will do. We should be linking up with God. Nothing should be done to distract from that linkage, Prince. There's work. You know where I came from? We're working up there. Bible study is going on right now. We had a literature program. We don't have time to come down here and play. So this is not a regular meeting. We want his presence. All heaven bent low to behold and to adore to adore the wisdom of matchless, incomprehensible love. Lost in wonder, the apostle explained, Herein is, is love. They grasped the imparted gift, and what followed? The sword of the Spirit, newly edged with power and bathed in the lightnings of heaven. It cuts its way through unbelief. Listen, we don't have the experience because we don't believe. I'm from Massachusetts. There's a school up there. Atlanta Union College shut down. One of the first of many that will either shut down or be completely taken over by another pop. One of the first, my heart weeps because it's a strange reality that God's words are true. Why do I say that? You see, when our institutions start shutting down and and the prophet says that where once there were rich stores of wheat, it's not going to be anything left where the work was prospering and flourishing. She says that it will be as if there was nothing. And I'm sitting there looking, and I'm sitting in the midst of prophecy being fulfilled, and I'm having people from the school call our little training school and say, Andre, will you come teach our teachers true education? I'm not saying they may not. That breaks my heart. The realities of not following the counsel, not following God's word, should make us weep, friends. It breaks my heart when present truthers see God's people failing and we rejoice because of the fall. How are you God's children when you join on the side of Satan to accuse the brethren? Daniel didn't do that. Read Daniel 9. Daniel connects himself with the sins of the people, even though there's not one record of him sinning one time. He didn't worship one idol. He kept all the health reforms. But not once did he separate himself from the people. He said, we have sinned, we have transgressed, we have turned from God. And in his agony, he turns to God and says, God, will you do something for us? And God sends Gabriel and gives Daniel hope. It shall make our hearts weep. The power is prevailing against the people of God and God's people are sleeping. We act like it's going to keep. Listen, God is about to do something special. And if we would enter into faith now, today, today we can have more of his presence than yesterday. Is that right? And as the day progresses, we can have more and more and more of his presence. But sin separates us from God. Do you hear me? I'm gonna just speak a little bit more real to you. And I'm gonna speak it softly. If you argue with your husband and you argue with your wife, the spirit of God is not in you. If you're losing your temper because your child is not being obedient, the Spirit of God's not there. Why do, I, why do I have to speak so plainly? You know why? Because we make excuses for our imperfections. And in making excuses for our imperfections, we give Satan the ability to dominate and control us. You don't have a right to be rude, not a child of God. We don't have a right to be sarcastic with each other. We don't have that right. Because we are not our own. We're bought with a what? Reverend Herald, July 21st, 1896. The great outpouring of the Spirit of God, which lightens the whole earth with his glory, will not come, I wish we would get this locked in our mind, will not come until we have what? Have an enlightened people that know by what? That know by what? That know by experience what it means to be laborers together with God. But wait. When we have entire, wholehearted consecration to the service of Christ, God will recognize the fact by an outpouring of his spirit without what? But what must be done? Go back up. When we have what? Entire what? Wholehearted what? entire, wholehearted consecration. Then God will recognize that fact with an outpoint of his spirit. See, I believe this. I believe this. Do you believe it? Don't say yes. Do you believe this? They enter not in because of unbelief, but this will not be while the largest portion of the church are not laborers together with God. Want you go to Numbers. I have no idea what time it is. Numbers chapter twenty-two. Chapter 23, and this story is the story of Balaam. Everybody knows the story? I want us to pay attention to a second prophecy. I want you to pay attention to the second prophecy in Balaam, in Numbers, chapter 23. And we're looking at verse, actually go back to chapter 22, we'll come to 23 in a moment. Balaam and Balak have joined forces. Verse 6 tells us in Numbers 22, the intent of Balak says, Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me, this people, for they are to what? They are to what? So the children of Israel are going through and they're conquering and they're dominating. No power is able to stand against them. They're too mighty for me. Peradventure, I shall what? What's his, what is his goal? What is Bala's goal? To prevail. So he wants to place a curse so he can prevail. Is that right? All right. That we may smite them, that I may drive them out from the land. For I want that he whom thou blessed is blessed, and he whom thou cursed is cursed. Chapter 23 now. Balaam has now met Balak, and they're meeting together, church and state have united, to cause a curse to come upon the people of God. Chapter 23 and verse 16. And the Lord said, Met Balaam, and put a word in his mouth, and said, Go again unto Balak, and say thus. And when he came to him, behold, he stood by his burnt offering, and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said unto him, What saith the Lord, what hath the Lord spoken? And he took up this parable and said, Arise up, Balak, and hear. Hearken unto me, thou son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to what? and he hath blessed and I cannot, what? He hath not beheld, what? Iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The king, the Lord his God is with him and the shout of a king is what? Did you get that? Well, God has blessed, he cannot curse, why not? because he have not seen iniquity in Israel. All right, let's wrap our mind around this idea. Numbers says there's at least 603,000 around there in average men of war. Let's say these men of war were married to one woman. That makes 1.2 million people at least. Let's say they had one child. That's 1.8 million people at least in this camp. Minimum, 1.8 million. Balaam stands here to curse, can't curse. God looks on 1.8 million people and does not see sin. On 1.8 million people, there's a group that are walking in unity. And somebody might say, and they might see this on YouTube, and they say, well, that's just because God has justified them. Well, if that's the case, Numbers chapter 25 says that they've committed whoredom. Is that right? Go with me to Numbers chapter 25. Remember now, what God is blessed, Satan can't curse. But Numbers chapter 25 tells us something transpired. There's been a change. Numbers 25, beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit what? whored them with the daughters of Moab and they called the people into the sacrifices of their gods and the people did eat and bow down to their gods. Now this is why it's so dangerous when we invite other ministers to preach in our pulpits. Because now look, was when we invite them to preach in our pulpits, we're eating their food. We're causing ourselves to prepare to be separated from God and joined to another power. Nobody's listening. Listen. And they called the people unto the sacrifice of their gods. And the people did eat and bow down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto who? Wait a second. Who would they join to before? Yeah, you know. As Christians, we, ha- we do have a union of church and state. That's us, the church, connected with the state of heaven. You understand that? The kingdom of heaven. This union with another power makes the church weak. Makes the church weak. And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people, and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that thy fe- that that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay every one his men that joined unto Baal Peor. Behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his unto his brother an a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses, and the sight of the congregation of the children. Of Israel, who were weeping before the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And when Phineas, the son of Eli- Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand and went after the men of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. So the... Is the plague a blessing? No. Well, not really. It could be. But... This is the curse. The curse had no power while the people were connected. If you don't get anything else from what I say today, listen to what I just said. The curse has no power when the people are connected. The power cannot prevail when the saints are connected with the Most High. Now it's important for you to understand this because the crisis is re-emergent. The 1260 years that we, that the papal supremacy had. See if I can get to, to something so you can see what I'm trying to say. Listen to this. This is talking about Balaam. The people of Israel were at this time loyal to God. Listen. And so long as they continued in what? To his law, no power in earth or hell could what? I wonder why she uses the word prevail, and all throughout the scriptures we're seeing that same word. Is it a coincidence? But the curse which Balaam had not been permitted to pronounce against God's people, he finally succeeded in bringing upon them by seducing them into what? There's a song. Prone, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Taken. Seal it. Is it. Do you see this? Seduced into sin. Do you know all of us in this room have that pull to sin? Yes. We got to figure out how to stop it from pulling us. We got to have new affections. I'll read this to you Great Controversy, page 42. Thousands were imprisoned and slain, but others sprang up to fill their places. Talking about dark ages. And those who were martyred for their faith were secured to Christ and accounted to him as conquerors. They had fought the good fight. They were to receive the crown of glory when Christ should come. The sufferings which they endured brought Christians, what? Nearer to one another and to their Redeemer. Their living example and dying testimony were a constant witness for the truth. And where least expected, the subjects of Satan were leaving his service and what? enlisting under the banner of Christ. So Satan saw this, he said, let me switch game plans. Satan, therefore, laid his plans to war more successfully against the government of God by planting his banner in what? Wait a second. Now remember, the day of Pentecost, the children of God were connected with heaven. Are you listening to me? So they're connected to heaven. Satan says, well, I have to stop them from having a connection. So I'm gonna join the church. I'm gonna put good clothes on. I'm gonna look like a, a good religious person. Are you following me so far? If the followers of Christ could be deceived and led to displease God, then they're what? Wait, so how does one lose strength? To displease God, to be disconnected. Now here's the funny thing. It's not really funny, but Samson, you guys know Samson? How many times did Samson uh, play with that woman Delilah? Three or four times, right? How often did he hang around sin, hanging out with women that were not of the faith? How long did he do that? When he did that, did he lose his strength immediately? No. No. So he didn't lose his strength immediately, but when the crisis came, he had no, because he, Satan knew that if I could just keep him just a little bit longer, just a little bit longer, you keep playing with that thing. Are you listening to me? Well, it doesn't look like I'm losing strength now. Let me just hang out a little bit more. Let me walk by the vines. I didn't drink any wine. So I'm just going to hang out with them. Tie me with them. Time me with the wine. The, 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 the vines that I said don't tie me with. Let me hang out with the women I know I'm not supposed to hang out with. Let me be places where I'm not supposed to be. Let me keep eating what I want to eat when I want to eat it. Since I'm not at Present Truth Camp meeting, nobody sees what I'm doing. I'm just online. I'm just looking. Oh, nobody knows what I'm about to look at here. Click. Keep playing with us. I'll come to the present true camp meeting and then I'll get filled back up then I'll go back out again. Satan just keep playing with us. And when the crisis comes, there will be no... If the followers of Christ could be deceived and led to displease God, then their strength, fortitude, and firmness would fail and they would fall What? The great adversary now endeavored to gain by artifacts what he had failed to secure by force. Persecution ceased, and it in its stead were substituted the dangerous allurements of what? Temporal prosperity and what? Let's talk about Balaam, the same ideas of Balaam. I'm gonna bypass this, let's read, little, let's read this here. Little by little, at first in stealth and silence, and then more openly as it increased in strength and gained control of the minds of men, The mystery of iniquity carried forth its deceptive and blasphemous work. Almost imperceptibly, the customs of heathenism found their way into the Christian church. The spirit of compromise and conformity were restrained for a time by the fierce persecutions which the church endured under paganism. But as persecution ceased and Christianity entered into the courts and palaces of kings, she laid aside the humble simplicity of Christ, and his apostles for the pomp and pride of pagan priests and rulers. And in the place of the requirements of God, she substituted human theories and traditions. The nominal conversion of Constantine in the early part of the fourth century caused great rejoicing. In the world, clothed with a form of righteousness, walk where? My friend showed me a, a YouTube video. It's a group come out of uh, out of Oakwood, and they went on TV and they won this worldly show. And the judges, oh, it was so, it was so sad. No, not take six. It was so sad. This group, they're up there singing from one of our schools, and the judge said, and they know that they were Seventh Day Adventists. They said to them, you know you can see now, it's not such a big leap from Christian music to worldly music. Got the video clip. I was like, what in the world? One song got so bad, they were gyrating, moving like, like, you know, how they move. And at the end of the song, the woman said, I think I just had an orgasm. Y'all not listening. Seventh-day Adventists. Where is their mama? And their dad? Their pastor was on on the show. Where are the people of God? What are we doing? We're not weeping. We're not crying. We're just pointing fingers. We're about to enter into a crisis and we are individually if the the window were open and your heart would be seen. what What would God see? Separating ourselves. This compromise, listen, this compromise between paganism and Christianity resulted in the what? Well, let me ask this question. Based on what you just read there, who's responsible for the papacy? Who's responsible for the papacy? God's people are responsible for the papacy. When I understood this, my heart was broken. This power would have never come to power like this if God's people had never compromised. In fact, I'll show you right there from the Bible. Go to Daniel chapter 8. Go to Daniel chapter 8. I need to bring this to a close. I think I can keep going, but I don't want to mess up. Daniel chapter 8, look at verse number 12. Verse number 11. Notice what verse number 11 Notice what it says here. Verse number 11 says, Yea, he magnified himself even to the Prince of Hosts, and by him the daily was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was what? So this is talking about the rise of the papal power. Verse 12. And the host was given him against the daily. Well, why was it given him against the daily? By reason of what? By reason of what? So the papal power is able to arise by reason of transgression. And it casts down the truth to the ground. And it practiced in what? But why did it practice and prosper? Because the people of God transgressed. Well, here's my mind. My mind is very simple. My mind is very simple. If the people of God transgressed and the papal power came to power the first time, and then we read in Revelation 12, 17, that it's going to make war again, it tells me that the church must compromise again. But what what makes up the church? What what makes the church? People. people. So are you part of the church? Yes. So we're responsible. We're responsible. When people encounter you, are you a tree of life to them? When people encounter you, are they happy because you came? Well that depends, right? Is your life a vital force? Can you do you are you so connected with God that people are changed or pricked or moved because you're there? I know I'm not where I want to be. I know you're not where you want to be. That's the holy place. I just did that little, see that there? That's the holy place. 31 AD to 1844 is our experience. It's our experience. First we're connected then we become disconnected. The church receives power and then it disconnects because it compromises, begins to play with sin. Because of this, friends, we're trodden underfoot three and a half times, or you call it 42 months, 1260 years. This power dominates God's people. Let me ask you a question. How will he stop dominating God's people? What will have to happen? At Daniel 8, 14. In verse 13. And this will be our last passage. Verse 13. Then I heard one saint speaking. And another saint said unto that certain saint which spake how long shall be the vision concerning the daily one and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the what to be trodden underfoot but how long and he said unto me unto two thousand three hundred days Then shall the what? The horn power prevails against the saints until the Ancient of Days sits and judgment is given to the what? Do you realize that we've messed up? You see that number right there, 1844? The judgment has set. A long time ago. It's set since 1844. God's looking for a people now to cooperate. Well, what is the purpose of this judgment? To cleanse the temple. But why is it important to cleanse the temple, friends? Because when the sin is removed, who comes in? When sin is removed, there's an indwelling of the spirit that takes place there. No power in heaven or earth can prevail against the people of God. You look at Revelation chapter 14, you look at verse, Revelation 13, you look at verse 10. You don't have to go there, but if you look at verse 10, it says, here's the patience of the saints in the faith of Jesus. But when you go to Revelation 14, verse 12, it doesn't just say that. It says, here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that... Well, that's a new caveat, is that right? They keep the commandments. They're in a covenant relationship with God. God says, I can write my law in their hearts. I will take their stony hearts and I will give them hearts of flesh. The judgment is all about union with God. It's all about connecting with him. How many understood the word of God? Can I see your hand? One thing to understand, now we have to enter into an experience. Search me, O God, and and know my heart. Try me and know my ways and see, who, who are we asking to do it? We're asking God to do it. We can't do it of ourselves. Because if you did, did that yourself, you would make excuses for what you see. But God searched my heart. Try my reins. You know, I, I live with a lot of people. Our missionary school. One of the things that's very interesting. Everybody can see everybody else's problems. Everybody can smell everybody else. But few know how to smell themselves. We're going to pray. And I'm going to ask that you ask God to search your heart. I don't want to leave here without power. I don't want you to leave here without power. I don't want the, the quote from the prophet where she says, the ring will be falling all around. People won't even know it's falling. I don't want that experience. I want to leave here connected with heaven. I want to leave here more loving as a husband. More kind as a father, more wise as a leader, or more humble as a child. But I can't make myself do it. In one way only can a true knowledge of self be obtained. He must behold Christ. As the student of the Bible, beholds the Redeemer. There's awakened in the soul the mysterious power of faith, adoration, and love. Upon the vision of Christ, the gaze is fixed. Well, where is Jesus? He's in the most holy place. What do the high priest do? Well, the high priest does two things. He offers gifts and sacrifices. What is Jesus doing for me right now in the heavenly place? Let me hit his Father, the judgment is set. The book, the little book, the book of life is open. We have sinned, we have turned our back on you, we have cheated and lied and stolen. We have entered into union with a power that is not you, Father. We have not been kind, we have not been loving, we have not been patient. We have not been long suffering, but we've emulated the things of this world. We've taken pride in knowing present truth instead of taking humility in knowing you. Search us, Father. I don't wanna leave here the same. Cry my brothers and sisters, fathers, we don't want to leave here the same. There is no excuse for sin. Not when you've made so much available to us. We can't do it, Father. Teach us to see Jesus push back those evil angels that will hide heaven from our view. Beat back the prejudices in our unbelief, Father. We, are, we just don't believe your word. We don't believe it. Everything is coming to an end. The world is collapsing on top of itself and we just don't believe. You'll make every angel available to us Pray for this special group that has gathered here, Father. We've come from near and far. We're in one place. I don't know if we're in one accord yet, Lord. But you will recognize the fact with the outpouring of your spirit if it's true, Father. Help us to come on one accord before it's all done. And visit us mightily with your presence. Please. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, claiming the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen.